Welcome to the Venezuelan Diaspora Project, where you will find Venezuelan entrepreneurs and changemakers that we searched and interviewed to present to you. My name is Jesus Bolivar, also known as Chubeto. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Venezuelan Diaspora Project. My name is Jesus Bolivar and today we have the honor to have Jose de Castro. Jose de Castro is co-founder, was co-founder and CTO of Tropo, which was acquired by Cisco and went on to become the CTO of WebEx. And he's now co-founder and CTO of Matt, uh, which is currently on Stealth. Hopefully by the time this goes out, it's out of Stealth. Um, so welcome, Jose. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. Cool. So let's start uh, as you know, as other interviews that you've seen, uh, we're going to talk about Jose's entrepreneurial journey. Then we're going to go into uh, some advice and uh, sorry, we're going to go into uh, his journey before he started his venture. We're going to ask him from some advice as an entrepreneur, and then we're going to close with uh, being Venezuela and some hopefully some stories about Venezuela. So let, let's kick it off. Jose, tell us about um, your current venture and what you're up to, and would also love to learn about how you started in Tropo and your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, great. Um, so like you said, uh, Mapped, which is my current venture, we're, uh, we're currently in Stealth. We're an IoT data platform, and uh, hopefully by the time you know this airs, we'll be um, on our way to, to making some pretty big announcements. Um, but you know, we, we raised a seed round um, back in the summer. Uh, I was at Twilio at the time. I, I left Twilio to... Um, to do this new startup and uh, just super excited. We've spent the last three months uh, mostly just building the team and uh, the initial product. That's awesome. And and let's go back to, was Tropo your first uh, startup? Was that your first venture? No, no. Uh, so it's, it's kind of funny. I, um, well, you know, I, I've been coding since I was 12, um, but mostly, uh, you know, doing contract work and just trying to get as much experience as I could. Uh, and then, I still haven't traced it exactly how, how, how it happened, but I found myself in this niche of uh, communications and allowing developers to embed communications in um, everywhere. And uh, I just found a lot of passion for that idea because at the time, you know, the big phone companies had a monopoly on communicating. Um, and even from a young age, I was fascinated that I could pick up the phone living in Miami and call my grandmother in Venezuela and just be talking to her. Like we were sitting on the couch right next to each other. And so this idea of democratizing access to the communications um, uh, was something that I, I felt really passionate about. And um, I did three startups in that space leading up to Tropo. Yeah. Oh, wow. So tell us about that, that journey. Like, did you have, like, did you have people that helped you? Did you, were you able, did you have access to finance? Like, was it you like in a computer in a garage by yourself? Hmm. How did that start, start out? Yeah, so I was I was working for uh, a HR company, Spherion at the time, and um, this is right around the, the the first bubble had burst, and uh, and you know staff one, one or two. Yeah, there's like two thousand ish, um, and so you know come around two thousand four, like staffing needs weren't really uh, what they used to be, and so I started looking around, and luckily my friend Mike was at a company called Nepitel. And uh, they were looking for someone to help them pivot from being a services company to a platform company. 
Um, and so the CEO brought me on to help them during that transition. And uh, about six months after I joined, we did a management buyout of the IP and spun out a platform company from there. And so luckily, um, I, uh, in, in all of my startups, I've, uh, I've never had to uh, take VC money until this most recent one with Mapped. Uh, we've mostly been either bootstrapped or um, have had the opportunity to kind of incubate and then spin out of uh, a parent company. That, that is very interesting um, because you essentially just created revenue in order to grow with no outside financing. Yeah, and same thing happened with Tropo. We were, um, it was just a group of us at a company called Voxeo that had acquired my first startup. <laughs> and so I joined Voxeo through acquisition. Um, you know, we built some great products uh, over a few years and then um, we came up with the idea for Tropo and, um, and we're fortunate enough to be able to uh, get some revenue. And by the time we spun out, we were, um, we were mostly self-sufficient. Nice, nice. Yeah. Let's see, during that journey, uh, what, what was the hardest thing? Like what was a low point, something that, or lesson, a uh, hard lesson that you learned? Oh um, man, in- um, pro- probably um, like learning to lean on other people and trust people. Um, you know, it, the way I kind of, you know, I was a bit of a loner growing up. And so it was just me and the computer and, you know, you kind of tell it what to do. And if it doesn't do what you tell it to do, then it's your fault, right? You programmed it incorrectly. And, um, you know, I really kind of started coming out of my shell socially, you know, in kind of my late teens, early twenties. Um, but in, in my, in the professional arena, it was just me and the computer. And, and so, um, having to transition to being a leader, and helping to not only inspire the people around me, but trust them to kind of be part of the team and do their jobs. It was it was not an easy transition for me, um, but uh, um, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's like one going that's from incredibly execution. rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. So going from execution to managing other people, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's an interesting one because, all, you know, when you're a technical founder such as yourself, that's like a typical pivot that you have to do, right? Not only, you know, at some point you're building the product and you're actually doing the things technically right that you have to start to hire people and create an organization yeah i mean now now it's my favorite part to be honest uh you know in like with mapped i mean i, I still i still get my hands dirty and i'm still coding um some days uh but 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 to be honest like the most fun part of the the past few months has been building the team and um you know just trying to think about what kind of company we want to build um, from from the very kind of baseline you know, our principles, our ideas, like things that we stand for. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Like laying the foundations before you start building, right? Yeah. I, I feel like sometimes, right, when you're in the middle of uh, just executing, you have to both think about what you want to become, but also execute at the, at the right, like at the same time. So tell us about, I think it's interesting now that you've said that, uh, how do you feel the differences between now that you've able to have outside financing right uh versus now versus when you had to bootstrap and what are some like uh differences that you've experienced yeah well everything is different about 2020 so i uh i don't think it's a fair i don't think it's like a fair assessment to to count this year towards you know all venture based (laughs) you know it's so crazy you know i you know just just this past january i'll get around to answering your question but if you kind of uh permit me a little bit you're interviewing 
Yeah. This is your interview. Well, so just this past uh, January, I was, you know, I was at Twilio. I had a you know, good job. I was making some friends. Um, I went hella skiing in Pakistan, in the Himalayas, you know, and then, you know, COVID hit. <laughs> I was like, like everything changed. I, I, you know, I used to spend a quarter or more of my time on a plane, you know, visiting customers and, you know, speaking at conferences and stuff like that. So it's been um, incredibly transformational um, for me. And, um, and, you know, I don't know that I would have taken the leap to, to start uh, a new company um, if it weren't for COVID, which sounds bizarre, right? Because, you know, most, you know, you think that in times like this, you want to play it safe and kind of, you know, but, um, you know, it's it's been kind of fortunate in that I've just had all this time at home uh, to think and reflect and and and, um, and kind of assess my own priorities and kind of what I what I want to do um, in the next few years. And so, um, you know, I think that's allowed me to going back to your question around VCs to um, just get out of that kind of. Uh, hamster wheel that you were referring to earlier of just like constant execution and really think from a VC's perspective, like what is the value that this product that we're building um, is going to create in the world um, and think about it more holistically. And, um, you know, we, we have we've been fortunate to have some amazing investors. Um, you know, we, we're not speaking publicly yet about you know who they are, but we will um, soon. But um, they're they're amazing, and they've been really patient with us. You know, obviously during COVID times, being an, an industrial IoT platform specifically focused on commercial real estate, uh, it's kind of a weird time to be to be in that space. But um, uh, you know, I think our relationship to the office is going to fundamentally change in the next couple of years, especially coming out of COVID, and so. Um, you know, I'm excited to to kind of get into it. Let's go to some specifics. So typically, right, or, or traditionally, or if you the fundamentals, right, would tell you that when you before you start a venture, you sort of do an analytical assessment, analytical assessment of should I do it or not do it? Um, and was there a big difference between how you did it the first time versus how you did it now, how you thought about the market opportunity, the potential upside? Were you more methodical before or after? Can you shed some light on that? Like how you decided to actually, let's go and do this the first time versus now. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, I was really fortunate that my, um, you know, Sh Sean, my, my CEO at Mapped, uh, you know, he had left Cisco uh, about a year and a half ago and he had already spent about six months kind of thinking about the problem space before he even approached me as a, you know, technical co-founder. And, um, uh, and he did a really great job, you know, selling me on it. So, um, you know, hats off to him for doing a lot of the heavy lifting there, but quite, to be honest, man, it was, uh, it wasn't that tough of a decision. Surprisingly enough, I, I had been in the communication space for 15 years, solving the same kind of problems, um, at different companies and, and, you know, through a different lens and I was ready for a change. Um, and so, you know, that plus COVID and knowing that I was going to, you know, <laughs> have the luxury of, you know, working 12 hour days and not pissing off my family too much, uh, you know, all kind of, you know, <laughs> happened, happened <laughs> serendipitously. Nice. All right. So if someone looks at your career, I mean, I look at it and I'm, I think, wow, this guy is really great decision maker. It's like it's success after success. So what is one failure that you're proud of? Failure that I'm proud of. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, or that you'd learn something from. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, sure. Um, 
you know, we at, at Tropo, we, um, you know, we were competing with a company called Twilio at the time and uh, kind of in the same market. And they were venture backed. They had raised at that point, I think, a Series C um, somewhere around like $80 million and we were bootstrapped. Um, and uh, and so we decided to take a different route to market and because we knew we couldn't outspend them on marketing and kind of, you know, boots on the ground. Uh, and so we partnered up with uh, service providers like AT&T uh, as our go to market. And uh, that's what ended up getting us on the radar uh, for Cisco, because Cisco sells a lot of kit to these service providers and they were looking for a way to complement their offerings there. And so at the time, it felt like a significant kind of distraction from our our goal of democratizing communications for developers, um, because working with these big companies is just really difficult and time consuming. Um, but we persevered and um, and, uh, in, and 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 man, I mean, our, my team at the time, they uh, they were really patient with us while we were going through these little pivots and um, uh, it felt like a mistake at the time and we turned it into an opportunity. Nice, nice. Yeah, you know, you learn along the way. That's a that's a great piece of advice. Uh, all right, Jose, let's let's switch over to uh, to advice. Like, what's what's one thing that you would um, that you wish you knew when you started um, when you started your company? Like something that you had to learn in, on the way. Yeah. You're like, man, I wish someone had told me, um, you know, as an advisor when I decided to to have this journey. What, what is the one thing you would tell your, I don't know, 20 year old self? Yeah, well, I have, I have a, a, a couple for you. Um, and one is, uh, especially uh, in, in maybe not for my 20 year old self, because the world is a little different now because I'm old. <laughs> uh, but, you know, for, for, you know, software engineers kind of getting into the, the industry now, um, there's just so much opportunity. Software has eaten the world, right? So you no longer have to go to a technology company to get into software. Uh, you know, software is everywhere. And so, uh, you know, my my uh, friend of the family was asking me just the other day, he's, he's going to school for computer science. And uh, my advice to him was like, pick a company that you love. It doesn't have to be a technology company because I'm sure there is <laughs> a software position there. So, I mean, if you love clothes, like go, you know, if you love shoes, like go find a job at Nike or whatever, just be around products that you're passionate about. Um, and that's just going to make the learning process that much easier. And if all else fails, like at least you're in an industry that you love and you can find other opportunities in there as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I wish I would have known that at the time. I, uh, I love food and travel and education. And um, and I, I kind of uh, wish that uh, maybe I would have spent more time in the early days of my career exploring, um, you know, different different verticals, I guess, so to speak. So, yeah. I, I love that advice because, I mean, your point is like in every single sector, there's going to be something that software can help it become better. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, be close to what you like. All right. Cool. Uh, top three predictions for 2030, like in 10 years, like if you have to say the world's going to look like blah. It could be crazy. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I'm a big uh, AR VR geek, and you know, I, I think uh, you can't see behind me, but I have pretty much every headset that's ever been made. Yeah, I do. It's, it's nice. Yeah, it's, it's right here. <laughs> uh, I use it all the that's time. Awesome. Maybe, maybe uh, 
maybe we can have this interview next in, in VR. Yeah, we should. We should. Um, anyways, you know, I, I've been, I've been, I've been saying that this is the year of VR probably for like 20 years now. Um, but certainly, where we are today with kind of the horsepower on here, the six degrees of freedom, um, you know, they, they're getting lighter and cheaper, and, and the optics are getting better and better. Um, you know, I think I think this is really, really the time, um, and I'm super excited. And you know, at Mapped, we're not directly doing anything in um, AR VR space, but um, uh, we will be making some announcements next year uh, for some neat integrations uh, because you know it's it's going to be transform transformative, not just for gaming and education and the typical things, but you know, imagine a a firefighter going into a building um, and then you know using their geolocation to unlock you know, data about the building that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. And all of a sudden they're seeing through walls and can see like, you know, where uh, people are and all that. I mean, that's, that was science fiction just a few years ago. You can build that today. Um, and so, um, yeah, super excited. And, uh, you know, maybe if we do another interview a couple of years from now, we'll see if I'll nice. <laughs> I love it. VR, VR is going to take over. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Any, any other one? So VR is going to take over. It's going to unlock a bunch of use cases that were impossible before. Is there any, any other technology that you think 2030? Uh, transportation. Be? Yeah, I think transportation is ripe for like some generational leap. Right. And so we're already talking about um, different forms of like supersonic, like passenger supersonic mm -hmm. flight. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to you know go from San Francisco to London in like four hours. Um, I think that's going to be possible um, and space travel. I, uh, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I certainly am going to go before I, before I kick the bucket. Uh, um, and, uh, I'm just really looking forward to doing some space tourism. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm, you got me very excited. That That's great. All right. Uh, Jose, let's, let's move over to, um, another topic. So we're going to do a rapid fire to sort of help us, uh, warm up to that other section. So. Uh, this is easy. I'm going to give you two choices and you pick one. All right. Ready? Ready. Okay. Dog or cat? Dog. Bitcoin or fiat currency? Bitcoin. <laughs> Margarita or Los Roques? <laughs> Margarita. <laughs> this is a very Venezuelan one. Uh, ron or whiskey? Coño, ron. Ron. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Mac or PC? Mac. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Ooh, okay. We got to stop here. We got to stop here. You got, you got, let, let's talk about that one. Like, okay. why iPhone and not Android? Oh, I'm an Apple fanboy, uh, unabashed, unabashed. Like, I, I love, <laughs> I, I love the products. You know, I, you know, Steve Jobs is, is one of the reasons I'm, you know, doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, they get a lot of flack, but products, they, they work and, uh, it's solid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the only one thing that I add there for myself because I'm I would pick Android, which is why I want to talk about it is, you, it's just the 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 amount of users using each platform, right? And and one user there are different types of users, but certainly Android is used, um, around the world more than I guess the U.S. Right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, true. One of the things that I found interesting, I think, it was Zuckerberg who said that he. Uh, forced, not forced, like suggested to his exec team to use Android because that's where most people are using Facebook, right? So I, th I thought that was an interesting one. That is cool. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Well, I, I guess you could say the same thing about Macs and PCs, right? Uh, there are more PC users perhaps than Mac, but we choose Mac. All right, let's let's continue. Uh, New York or Miami? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> I knew, I knew. I mean, Miami's, Miami's my hometown, so Miami. 
<laughs> you're like I'm, you're like I have to say Miami even though I I want New York. Uh, uh, the beach or the mountain? Beach. Nice. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh wow, that that's a big giveaway right there. Like the coffee, tea, and the Ron and whiskey. Okay, window window or aisle? Ooh, aisle. Aisle because yeah, I just I uh, just hate the idea of like having to like shove someone or like bump them to get out. I have to. I'm I'm tall. I'm you know six two without the hair and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know I got to get up and stretch my legs, especially on those long haul flights. Right, right. All right, last two. Uh, would you rather be rich or famous? If you had to pick, to pick rich, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you a Hawaiian pizza or pepperoni? Wine. Oh wow! Yeah, my son, my son and I. Uh, yeah, we we eat. Um, uh, he likes pineapple and black olives and pepperoni. That's his favorite pizza, which is, sounds really weird, but it's good. No, it's it's like a, yeah, it's an interesting combination uh, for sure. I think in in general, our food, the Venezuelan food, tends to be very sweet. Yeah, like if you think pabellón has like the oh, the hat. Dude, don't even get me started like whenever i put sugar on my black beans like <laughs> i get so oh, from everyone <laughs> uh yeah david that's another one we gotta add like uh, uh black beans with or without sugar and, and the rapid fire okay that does it for the rapid fire uh thank you jose let's let's talk about you and being venezuelan i love to hear stories um and again uh you tell us uh i know that you're from miami but you're obviously venezuelan which is Uh, how we connected uh, uh, originally through our good friend uh, Manny in Francisca's. So tell us about um, any stories that you share is from Venezuela or your connection to it. Um, anything that you, any stories growing up that you think are meaningful that sort of impacted your your journey as an entrepreneur. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, I was born in Miami, but I, I did I did move to Venezuela when um, when I was 12, and I uh, I lived there for uh, four and a half years. Um, and these were pretty formative years, right? I mean, you know, 12, 13 years old. Then I, I moved away for a while. I lived in Budapest for um, uh, a little while and then moved back to Venezuela. And um, I mean, in Caracas? What, in Caracas, yeah, yeah. So the first time around, I was in Los Naranjos. And then the second time was uh, in that Mercedes. Uh, but man, I mean, what a beautiful country. And um, I mean, we won't get into the travesty that's you know, that's transpired since then. But, uh, you know, everything from the people to like, you know, we were kids, we were, you know, I was like 12 years old, my sister was eight. And uh, we would take little, you know, these little buses that would go around Los Carritos, and we would like, you know, we would travel all day long, just two kids, and we never had any trouble, we'd go down to the beach, uh, hang out with our friends, you know, people think of Venezuela as, um, you know, a third world country and they don't realize that it's it's full of beautiful beaches and amazing people and, and amazing food, mountains and snow. And um, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I I lived for a while. I lived in the same house as my dad and my grandfather. So it's three generations in the same house. And we all have the exact same name, uh, Jose Maria de Castro. And so uh, so it was easy. So getting mail was fucking interesting <laughs> like, <laughs> um but um but I'm, i'm i'm a third generation software engineer my, my grandfather uh was a software engineer and my dad was as well and so you know we were we would we would nerd out you know i was like 12 years old and like you know the three of us would be sitting side by side like coding on projects and stuff like that so i mean those were those were truly formative years not just you know in my 
development as an adolescent, but also um, in, in my career. I would have gone a very different that, route if it weren't for, for that. That is that is a great story. Um, yeah, the connection to family, that's always that's always the thing. And um, think, looking back, um, what are things that you think, if any, right, like um, that you learned that are particular about that, that you cherish, like values or things that, that like skill sets from not being in the U.S., being in, a, in an environment um, that's very, very different from the U.S. Yeah. that you cherish or you think that was uh, important for you? Yeah, I think just, um, you know, and maybe this isn't unique to Venezuela, but outside of the U.S., I've noticed, you know, children learn to navigate the world at a much younger age than in the U.S. And, uh, you know, like the story I was telling you, like, you know, my, my, my dad would give me a fistful of coins and send me off to, like, go get cachitos and like a bag of oranges and a pack of cigarettes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, and I would come back a couple hours later and you know, we didn't have phones or any way for them to get in touch with us. And, you know, you have to like negotiate like, okay, what do I do? And the oranges are cheaper there or whatever. And if I, you know, if I spent all the money and then I didn't get one of the things like, and then of course, like you want to have some change to like go buy some, you know, cards or some gum or, or whatever. Um, and no one looks at you funny when you're doing that. Um, uh, if anything, I found that, you know, a couple times I'd get lost or didn't know, you know, what bus to take. And, um, you know, I don't know if it is just the family oriented culture um, that is true of like a lot of Latin America. But, um, um, you know, if you saw if you saw, a, you know, seven, eight, nine year old kid um, just roaming around the streets uh, here in the U.S., like you'd call the police probably. Um, and, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah I, I once left my kid who's 11. I, I sort of dropped him off at school, but I left him. I, I left him like a block away and I, you know, he's on his way and I left. And later on, later on, I got a call from the principal saying, hey, you know, you could you could be in trouble. I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> for that same reason. Right. Like it's yeah. a different it's a different perspective on, on the protection. Yeah. Um, Jose, thank you so much uh, for having uh, for being with us today. Um, it, it's been a pleasure to get to know your story better. Um, and uh, for those of us listening, uh, if you're a Venezuelan or Hispanic or an entrepreneur who would like to be interviewed, um, happy to have you. Please reach out to us. Jose, anything else that you'd like to say? Uh, this is, as I said, your interview. Um, any advice or anything you'd like to say to those who are listening to us today? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, uh, I I love helping people out um, and... Uh... Um, you know, and if, if you're someone that's kind of in the space and you're looking for some advice, um, you know, feel free to drop me a, drop me a note on, on LinkedIn or uh, connect with me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, especially now during COVID times where I just have I'm less traveling and have more time at home to um, make deeper connections with people and try to give back a bit. Um, so always happy to do that. And also, uh, Chuveto, I, uh, I got you um, I got you two mapped socks. Oh, awesome. so next time I see you, uh, I'll make sure to bring these with me. Thank you. That's very nice of you. I'm sure we're going to see each other with Manny. Yeah. Uh, having some dinner and, and made, made by him. So thank you so much, uh, Jose. And see you guys in the next one. All right. Ciao, boy.